Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dan Catchpole with News Data's Clearing Up, joined by my co-host, California Energy Market Editor, Jason Fortney, and we're here to help inform everybody, get everybody a little caught up and help make people a little bit more informed about what's going on in the energy industry in the West. Uh, Today's recording this March 14th, so things might have changed by the time you hear this. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm great, Dan. How's it going? Pretty good. Had a little uh, rough time getting up and getting the kids out to school today with daylight savings. I appreciate the, uh, you know, additional sunlight, but those first few days. It's it's crazy how much that one hour makes a difference, isn't it? It is. And then they want to make it permanent. Uh, There's a, so I'm up here in Seattle, University of Washington professor. There's an article in the Seattle Times the other day. Uh, a UW professor says, uh, you know, that making it permanent is actually would be really detrimental to our health. We need that early sunlight uh, in in the winter, in those dark winter months. So, wow. hmm. yeah, uh, there's similar efforts in California, I think. So, yeah, I well, guess. the the sunshine bill, if uh, the White House is backing, would make it federal, I suppose. So, we'll what does see. that mean? States like Arizona have to start doing it. I yeah, there's those <laughs> slow states, which isn't it like Arizona and Kentucky? Maybe I don't know. I'll have to look that up. But but in the yeah. meantime, we have energy news to talk about. All uh, right. Although I, you know, there's probably is there's definitely an energy angle to how daylight savings permanent or not affects uh, demand and uh, you know what it means for peak demand loads. Anyways, uh, but. Yeah. On to what's going on now. Uh, so last week, the Washington legislature passed a huge clean transportation bill. That's uh, They plan to spend nearly $17 billion over 16 years. They are moving through a whole bunch of stuff they've been wanting to do in recent years, including uh, strengthening a mandate that all uh, car sales will have to be electric vehicles by 2030 for passenger vehicles. Some of the other investments that it includes $5.4 billion towards carbon reduction and uh, expanding multimodal transportation, $3 billion for public transportation, two and a half, almost $2.5 billion for uh, fish, fish passage barrier removals. So not just human transportation, but fish transportation, too. <laughs> it's got it all. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, to, you know, to help things move around actually this i was gonna try to do a segue there with batteries but uh i've got some batteries to talk about but they're utility scale batteries not car batteries so i'm gonna bag that segue all right the pacific northwest national laboratory uh, is looking for partners in research a private industry partner uh for research into vanadium redox flow batteries uh pnnl is confident that it can slash the costs of vanadium redox flow batteries, uh, which offer long duration storage and don't have the safety issues like catching on fire that lithium ion does. And you know, they did a detailed analysis last year uh, 
about or 2020 about cost projections for a 100 megawatt 10 hour battery system and i found right now vanadium redox flow batteries are just a little bit more expensive expensive than lithium ion and they are hopeful that they can significantly drop the costs. Researchers over at the University of Warwick in uh, Great Britain think they can, they've got an approach for hybrid vanadium redox flow cells that they think they can in you know the next few years slash the cost by to one-tenth of what they are today, which would just, I mean, is mind-boggling. So yeah. we'll hopefully, you know, we'll make some big breakthroughs there because that is uh, obviously duration. Long duration storage is critical for moving to renewable intermittent resources. And let's see what else we have going on. The Northwest uh, Montana federal court or federal court says Montana has to redraw its districts for the uh, its public service commission, which regulates utilities. It, the The map that the federal court handed down uh, in the interim until the legislature does some, the state legislature comes in and redraws its own map. It isn't likely to change the outcome in two uh, commission races this year, but it could give Democrats a little boost in one of the races, uh, the PSC's District 5 in 2024. The last time Democrats, uh, a Democrat was elected to the Public Service Commission in Montana was 2008. So it's been all red really? for a while. Yeah. Hmm. And then, uh, in uh, just a few weeks here, the Northwest, the federal Columbia River power system is going to start its highest spill program yet. So spill programs for listeners who aren't familiar, uh, it's a agreement over mitigating the hydropower system to increase survival of salmon and steelhead and endangered fish species. And so they're hoping they're going to spill a lot more water over the dams, hoping that it will help juvenile fish pass over the dams faster and not run into the turbines and increase survivability, boost the struggling salmon and steelhead populations. Uh, the Public Power Council, though, wants the several federal agencies to do some very rigorous studies to actually see what the effects are, uh, because there are concerns that the more you spill, the less water you have to go through, uh, you know, for hydropower generation, just in terms of overall amount, but then also you can hold less water for when you need and when you want to generate. So there's some, you know, it's a, can be a trade-off. Hopefully we can find a, a happy median medium uh, to, to balance the two. So that's what we've got going on in the Northwest. Uh, Jason, how are okay. things down in California? They're good. A lot happening as usual. Uh, last week, uh, California Energy Commission was information um, uh, on gas system decarbonization and distributed generation. After approving the final volume of its 2021 Integrated Energy Policy Report, this volume approved by the CEC at the March 9th meeting focused on electrification interdependence with the electric system and issues such as improving analytics and modeling to support building electrification and aligning rate structures to reflect the state's clean energy goals. Boy, that's a mouthful. Uh, the, C the CEC on February 16th had adopted previous sections of this report, 
including an aggressive plan to install millions of electric heat pumps in the state's buildings this decade. Commission member Andrew McAllister noted that the CEC is shifting how it refers to different gas-based fuels, which is most obvious in this latest uh, volume of the IEPR. Interesting, the CEC has termed natural from use when referring to natural gas, and now we'll call it fossil gas, a more specific term for different fuels. This change supports, quote, the rigor with which we think, unquote, McAllister said. So new definition of gas here in California. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Is there going to be like a lot of uh, follow-on effects from that, you think? Or the name change? Yeah. I mean, it's a, a long-term. How, how much does this change the landscape? Or is this? I don't know. You know, it's something I've heard environmental groups talk about before that we should stop calling it natural gas. I mean, it's. Like everything has a little bit of politics mixed in it, will probably irritate somebody. I'm sure, <laughs> but I don't know how controversial controversial that will be. But yeah, yeah, I just wonder, you know, if it changes perceptions, maybe long term. Yeah, hey, we're writers. Language is important, right? And uh, it's, call it's, things. I mean, sure. Look, look at uh, clean energy. How much people objected to that uh, from the fossil fuel industry, uh, mm-hmm. and. Now that's just become the standard. And so true. Yeah. But um, we'll see. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep an eye on that. Also, I read up a report from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. It's actually a national level report. Um, Jim DePeso covered it in Potomac in terms of the overall report. I focused on California. What the report said that utility scale electric generation output in California grew slightly last year compared with 2020, while the total number of customers that were served dropped and prices increased. Total utility scale generation grew by 1.9% in 2021 from the previous year to 197 million megawatt hours. That includes electric utilities, independent power producers, and utility scale commercial and industrial facilities. This is the EIA. Um, Drought pushed hydro output notably lower over the full year 2021 in California, dropping by nearly 32% to 14.5 million megawatt hours. Interestingly, hydro output in December 2021 was about flat with December 2020. Uh, Excluding hydro, utility-scale renewables output was up 23% in December compared with December 2020 for the full year 2021 those resources were up 10.3 percent to about 67 million megawatt hours wind generation more than doubled in december 21 compared with the month in the previous year to 1.3 million megawatt hours over the full year wind output grew 15 percent to 15.6 million megawatt hours uh natural gas also rose by 4.8 percent over the full year um, and nuclear grew by 1.3%. That's output. Obviously, the capacity, nuclear capacity is flat. Th- this is all output on a megawatt hour basis. Uh, let's see. Next, hydrogen production for California transportation is heating up in Arizona. Southern Arizona's reliably sunny weather and proximity to interstate trucking route that connects it to Los Angeles area ports appear to be inspiring a green hydrogen production industry. This is a report from Abigail Sawyer. 
Three companies recently made public their plans to produce hydrogen fuel in the state for use in transportation. Two of them via electrolysis powered exclusively by renewable energy. Pennsylvania-based Air Products in a March 8th news release said it would build, own, and operate a liquid hydrogen, hydrogen production facility in Casa Grande on Interstate 10 between Phoenix and Tucson. It plans to produce 10 metric tons per day of hydrogen to be sold for transport in California mm. and elsewhere beginning in 2023. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're seeing a lot of push with hydrogen, um, especially, you know, for, for uh, transportation and in California and it looks like Arizona wants to take advantage of it. And a lot of federal money coming in to that states are looking to compete for. Yeah. Interesting. I'm really curious to see how that uh, the large, large scale issue of hydrogen fuel plays out to clean hydrogen fuel uh, just because there's a lot of industries that want it and there's not that much supply even with projected ramp up uh, of you know supply that's going to be available in 10 20 30 years um, and you know like fertilizer can't do fuel switching uh, so we'll see sure. I'm a little yeah. I, I think there's good reason to wonder uh, how much available how much is this going to be available for transportation but it remains to be seen so stay tuned everybody yep stay tuned and um we need a lot more hydrogen infrastructure uh filling stations if we're going to move that technology forward finally i had some coverage from our news data conference um western electric system transformation a key question in the West is figuring out what changes are needed in wholesale power markets to integrate large amounts of renewables while maintaining reliability and affordability for consumers. This means scaling and designing a wholesale electricity market to meet decarbonization goals and an increased need for operational flexibility. I've focused on a presentation by Arne Olson of Energy and Environmental Economics, otherwise known as he was saying that in the absence of a federal clean energy program, states, utilities, and large corporate energy buyers have embarked on their own clean energy plans. The result is, quote, wild, wild variety, unquote, of clean energy definitions and credits, which is inefficient and won't scale, according to Mr. Olson. Universal carbon pricing would be the most efficient way to decarbonize the grid uh, allow, and would allow trading between states in a universal way. But would require federal action and probably will not happen anytime soon. Mr. Olson said uh, nationally renewable energy credits range from more than $400 in Washington, D.C. to about a dollar in Texas. Um, a yeah. lot of his report was based on Electric Power Supply Association research. Yeah. That was, a, it was an interesting write-up uh, and interesting comments from Art Olson. I'd really encourage uh, listeners to go check out the rest of it. Uh, along with more of our content at uh, newsdata.com. Yep. And you guys can follow us online uh, on Twitter. We're at CU Newsdata and at CEM Newsdata. Yep. And uh, well, I think that about wraps it up. So we thank you, everybody, yep. for tuning in for Newsdata's Energy West podcasts. Uh, Jason, any? Anything you want to add or you want to take us out? That's about it. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Check us out at newsdata.com. I'm on Twitter at 
at Fordney Energy and have a great week. All right. Oh, yeah. And you can catch me on Twitter at DCatchBall. And yeah, have a great week. Thanks. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. <laughs>